are listening to Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show about books, people who read, and how reading at its very best is a social experience. Whether it be a book club, a poetry slam, or the production of a play, words are meant to be shared. There is the old philosophical question. If a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, does it make a sound? Likewise, if you read a book and don't discuss it, have you enjoyed all the perks of being a book lover? I'm your host, Amy. I've been a member of numerous book clubs over the last 25 years and started quite a few. I love asking people what they're reading so that they'll ask me the same. I'm a vintage bookseller, a traveler wannabe, and a fanatic about dogs. And I'm your host, Carrie. I'm an English teacher, a freelance writer, a blogger, and the person whose Instagram feed features more photos of my cats than my kids. Each week, we will talk with a guest who shares the love of reading, how they impart that passion, and what books really catch them on fire. We will also tell you about our literary lives, what books are on our nightstands, and other bookish fun. Welcome. Listeners, can we ask a tiny favor? If you like our show, hop on over to Apple Podcasts and rate us five stars. And if you feel so inclined, write a little review. It's free and painless and is one of the single best things you can do to help us grow. Ratings help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support. Today we talk with guest Amanda Seco, the creator behind the book blog, The Lexington Bookie. She works with horses as part of her day job, but being a voracious reader is her hobby. She even has the horses listening to her audiobooks. Amanda shares with us how a New Year's resolution helped her create her blog, why sometimes she needs a recovery period after finishing a particularly wonderful book, and how publishers recruit readers to help create buzz for their new releases. The world of social media and the internet play a big part in our guest story. So hi, Amanda. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. So I was always that kid in class who my teachers were like, Amanda, you need to put the book away now. And when I got through college, I kind of stopped reading and I really missed it. So in 2015, I started reading some more and decided to start a book blog. I made it as a New Year's resolution to read more and start a blog that I would maintain because I'd started a couple before and lost interest. So I ended up starting that in 2015 and I'm still doing it now and it's been really, really fun. I read a lot more than I used to and I think last year was over 75 books, which I was pretty proud of. (laughs) I think that's pretty interesting that you started it as a New Year's resolution to make yourself read more. That really would motivate you if you thought you had to post something, you know, on a regular basis. Yeah. And it made it really easy to remember, like, when I started and, uh, you know, when to to re-up my New Year's resolutions (laughs) and stuff like that. Ironically, though, it seems like July or August is when I'm like, I want to do more with it. And so I start revamping it. The last couple of months, I've been doing a lot of reformatting and adding new pictures and cleaning it up and, you know, doing more Lexington related information, adding it in there. You're not from Lexington originally, but you're in Lexington now. So what's the the book scene there? There's Joseph Beth's Booksellers is a huge influence, I think. It's a big indie, two floors of books, which is really exciting. And they have escalators, which is so (laughs) great. And the last year and a half, I've been getting really into author events. And they put on a lot. Um, They get some good authors in there. 
there's a lot of bookstores in the area. The library branch is fantastic. There's so many branches within the city. You know, they, they post a lot of workshops and such that, you know, they also get authors in there and, you know, do creative writing stuff. I mean, they're very supportive of everybody in the public who just wants to come and learn and, and do some bookish things. I used to live in the eastern part of the state, and whenever we wanted to go to a big city, we would drive an hour into Lexington. We had a small independent bookstore in the little town I lived in, and it was very nice, and I like it a lot. But it was always really cool to come into Joseph Beth, Mm -hmm. because you're right, it was two stories, it had an escalator. It had a little cafe, and I don't know if they still do this, but at the time, that cafe would pick a cookbook, and they would have a special that day that they made from a recipe in that cookbook because I love to cook too. So to me, that was a really cool thing. And, and for those of alcoholic beverage drinking ages, they also do um, drinks and cocktails according to some oh, books. Really? Oh, really? Wow. Um, this is in Cincinnati, but in Cincinnati, they had Joseph Beth's branch up there hosted Kate Morton. And so they had a London fog with a Ooh. twist for her because oh, she's neat. from the UK. So it was really cool. <laughs> So let's backtrack just a little bit. There may be some people out there who do not know what a blog is. The really easy break it down, it is a personal journal online is the simplest way I would call it. You can also kind of call it a website of your own too. Depends on what you want to write about. But the book blogs are, you know, particular to what one person is reading and how they feel about it. And a lot of people seem to do that in a way of reviewing a book. It seems like a lot of people use Goodreads as their way to keep track of everything. But I like that a blog gives you the ability to to say what you want and not feel obligated towards like the publisher or the author or whoever gave the book to you. You get to really just say what you want to say. When you decided that you were going to do this, did you say to yourself that you were going to blog a certain number of times a week? Originally, no. I was really proud of myself if I had finished a book in a week. I thought that was pretty good. Sometime at the end of 2015 that I was like, you know, you should do a little more. And so I started reading, I think like two a week was my goal. And now (laughs) I learned the beauty that is audiobooks. (laughs) And I started knocking out a lot of books. This year, I've decided to try and stick to a three time a week schedule, which seems to work better with like publishers. And at this point, I'm reading more books than I can post. So I can always have like a post or two ahead of my actual posting schedule. That gives me a little bit of a cushion in case I get stuck in a slump or can't figure out what I want to read next and need a day or two to recover from the last one. So <laughs> I love it that to need a day or two to recover from book reading. Yeah. I just think that's fantastic. That's that's great. Well, I keep talking about it because it was one of my favorite books, but South Abroad, I read that and like, I think like a week went by and I just couldn't read anything else because I was so heartbroken at the end of it. That's the Pat Conroy. Same one who wrote Prince of Tides? Yes. Which I also just read this year and that was another one that broke my heart and I couldn't. Wow. I've never uh, read any of these. Yeah, I haven't either. No. They're very long. They're a commitment. Oh my gosh. It breaks your heart every time. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, what you're saying with audiobooks, you know, when people ask how can you up the number of books that you read? That is one of my number one things that I say. And I didn't find it till a year and a half, two years ago. And it is probably, I don't know if I would say doubled, but 
maybe by a third, increased yeah. it by a third. Agreed. I definitely, I, I was scared of them when I'd heard of them prior to my book blog. You know, I thought that they cost money and that they took up a lot of space on your phone. And, you know, I found that the library apps are mm. great for yes. finding audiobooks. That's how I do it too, because I'm too cheap for <laughs> Audible or even Libro, which is a very nice service. That's through mm-hmm. the in- independent bookstores. You can do the same thing that Audible does, but your local bookstore will get the credit. So if I was mm-hmm. going to pay for it, that's who I'd do it through. But yeah. I'm cheap and I'm yeah. going to do it through the library. <laughs> I, I found that one of the ways that I just actually realized lately, a good way to add to your volume is to read books of poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, I had never, n- never done that with adult poetry books, or I guess geared towards adults. Mm-hmm. And so I'm planning something for my students. And I got like five or six books of poetry written for kids, yeah. which adults can enjoy, of course. But it was like, automatically, I've got five more books read for this year. So I've, I've been patting myself on the back. If somebody is really completely nerdy about how many books they want to read in a year, that's an easy way to get that number up. So this is a hobby or a passion of yours. What is your day job? I am a total horse nerd as much as I am a book nerd. And I moved to Lexington because of my passion for horses. My day job is an equine association. It's the United States Dressage Federation. And that's, for the people who don't know, it's it's horse ballet is the simple <laughs> way to say it. Wow, that's cool. And then my part-time job is for a private owner. She has four horses, and her and her husband are very busy people as well. So after I get done with my day job, I go to my part-time job after work, and I take care of her Usually it's just two. There's two that are hanging out in a pasture, but there's two that are a little more special needs and and need more attention. So I take care of them in the afternoon and and help do barn chores and such. So my average day is I get home around dark. (laughs) And in the summer, that's a really late day. I spend a lot of my time at the barn and in the car and in that time, I use my audiobooks so that I can keep reading. Otherwise, I get really, really backed up in books. <laughs> so do you do you listen to the audiobook while you're working with the horses or mainly just in the car? Um, no, both. Okay. I, I listen in the car and I listen while I'm putzing around doing stuff with the horses. I don't know if they have any particular favorites, <laughs> but they're pretty personable. So yeah. you never know. Um, so you're not wearing earbuds while you're doing this. The horses the time, are getting no. to listen to. Yeah. Okay. Most of the time, no. It's more of a safety thing. I'm, I'm kind of a safety nerd when it comes to horse stuff. So I usually just kind of put it in my pocket and turn the volume up high. And that way, if somebody gets excited or starts running around in a pasture, I can figure out why. Other safety reasons like that. Well, that makes sense. But I think it's really cool that you're reading to the horses. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I think they enjoy it sometimes. So for those of you who are not in Kentucky or don't know much about Kentucky, uh, Lexington, Kentucky, and the whole state really is considered the horse capital of the country. And so if you are into thoroughbred racing or just any kind of horse activity, Kentucky's the place to be. You said you listen to audiobooks. Do you ever read actual books? Do you try to work that in like once you get home in the evenings? Yes, I, I like to read a lot actually on my lunch break. So Uh, There's days where I don't leave my office cube and they kind of know that if I'm sitting there reading and eating, it's my lunch break and not to disturb. But 
I try and work in a lot of hard copy books or like stuff on my Kindle when I can, you know, before bed or I mean, sometimes I'm sitting in the car waiting to do something. And so I'm cruising through my my book like today I'm sitting and eating my breakfast eating reading a book you know so I try and work it in as much as I can how do you pick the books that you choose to read to review on your blog I'm, I'm kind of a mood reader I decide you know I want to read something mystery because it's October or I want to read something light because it's summer you know it depends on what I'm feeling at the moment for the Lexington people I always want to read a horse book around (laughs) derby day (laughs) so it also depends on what's been on my to be read pile for a while I try and read a lot of current stuff to post on my blog but I know a lot of people aren't always out there looking for the new best book so I try and read some backlist stuff too and keep that in rotation. So one of the first books I blogged about was uh, Memoirs of a Geisha, which, you know, has which been out for old, a while. Which is old, but yeah. wonder, well, I remember so really good. loving it when yeah. I read it years so and years good. ago. If I do have a publisher book, it's like, okay, when's that due? <laughs> it's like homework. <laughs> okay, so talk to us a little bit about that. So do you get, they're called ARCs, I think, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Do you get ARCs from the publisher and they give you a deadline that uh, you have yes. to publish a, a blog post about it by a certain time? Yes. So they try to have a review up within 30 days, some of them like within two weeks of the published date. And that way there's a little bit of hype out there about the book and people are already hearing the name and seeing the cover when it comes out. And from what I understand, they really rely on reviewers to do this. And so they give out advanced reader copies or ARCs. For me, I've only had a couple. I use NetGalley a lot more to get those ARCs, but I've gotten a couple and they'll give you a little pamphlet that says, this is what the book is about. This is what the author is about. This is what we'd like to promote when you promote it. And so they give you a little breakdown of what they expect out of you. Is NetGalley like it's like you're getting it online? Is that what NetGalley is? Yeah. Okay. So like an e-reader book, you know, Kindle or something. Most of the time they'll send it through Kindle, um, Mm -hmm. through your Kindle address. And I just got my Kindle last year. So I'm like, oh, this is so fun. (laughs) (laughs) And do you get to pick the books or do they just send you what they want you to, to review? For me, my experience has been they'll either contact me on social media or they will contact me through my blog and I have like a little contact so that you know they can email me and then I also have a policy so that they know what I do accept or don't accept like I don't really do a lot of romance I don't like really scary gore so I have that so they can know what to expect but they'll request that I review it and if I accept then they'll send it sometimes they give you the option of what kind of format you like it in whether it's through an EPUB reader or Kindle or a hard copy personally I like hard copies better because they take better photos but you know I'm pretty happy to read it on my Kindle just as well how did you get involved with that in the beginning like you contacted them or they contacted you most of the time they contact me mm-hmm. I get really excited I nerd out for about a minute or two <laughs> and then I reply calmly or so I think <laughs> but uh, most of the time they contact me when you were talking about the art books what happens if you start reading one of those and you just you're like eh, I just can't get into it can you tell them this just ain't doing it for me I can't review this or that you really don't want me to review this right yeah. right what happens uh in the beginning I had read a couple that were self-published and I have found 
not that self-publishing is bad, but I have found that sometimes you also need somebody who is going to look through what you're you're sending out to people and cut it for editing and make it a much better reader experience. So I had a couple of those come through and I pushed through them. I do have a skill in speed reading. So if I get stuck, I will speed read through things. But for the most part, I really try. If I say I'm going to read this, I'm going to review it for you, I will do it. Mm -hmm. It might take me a while. I might have to say I'm still struggling. I haven't had to yet, but I try really, really hard to get through them for people. More recently, I've had more issues with the time management part because this is my day jobs, busy season. And, you know, summer is a very busy time of year for small stuff that I do at the farm. So I don't always have time to get into the reviews as quickly as I think I can, because sometimes I'm not on my own schedule. I'm on my work schedule. So on occasion, I will say, I think this is going to take me 30 days to read it, or I think this is going to take me 60 days, you know. And I try and be upfront with whoever's requesting it so that they know. With having a blog, do you have to spend a lot of time as far like on social media promoting your blog? Can you talk a little bit about what that's like? Yes. So the last month and a half, I've been doing a lot of research on how to promote your blog better. And I've read that you're supposed to spend 20 percent writing content and creating content and 80 percent promoting it wow the opposite (laughs) (laughs) so I have been trying really hard to promote my stuff a little more but the problem is I'm not I mean I'm attached to my phone but I'm not overly attached Mm -hmm. to my phone I'm usually in the barn or I'm at work or you know I try to be in the moment wherever I am Mm -hmm. And so I don't tend to be on my phone a lot until like the end of the day or usually when I first wake up, I might peruse through. So they tend to have me promote as much as I can when when I do get arcs and such through social media because it reaches more people a little faster. Mm. But I have been trying really hard for my blog to promote it more through bookstagram because I also read that you should pick one social media format and promote more through there than trying to spread yourself thin and go through all the formats but as far as a specific popular social media outlet I try and use Instagram I know I talk about bookstagram and I've talked to Carrie about bookstagram before and she didn't know what I was talking about and now I'm following it (laughs) Like I'm, I'm, I yeah, click whatever I was day. supposed to click. So now I'm getting all the pictures of books and stuff. And I've been doing it for maybe a year. Can you explain to people what Bookstagram is? So Bookstagram is a specific Instagram account for books. You don't see a lot of faces in Bookstagram. <laughs> you see a lot of book covers and a lot of cats. There, um, there are a lot of cats. There's nothing better. Yeah. Those are two of my favorite things. If, I, if all my clothes could be books and cats together on my clothes, I... And you're made for bookstagram, Carrie. Yeah. I know. I know. See, I have been enjoying the cats your, very much. you found your people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same here. I'm a total cat girl, too. So, I, I mean, animals are kind of my jam. But So I was really excited. It's like coming home and you see a bunch of books and a bunch of cats and... It's very cozy atmosphere on Bookstagram, and there's a lot of very supportive people on there. So Instagram is a platform that 
is mainly about photos and it's mainly about pictures. And you can, you know, obviously write long captions or whatever you want to say, but it's really visually based. And Bookstagram, I don't know, maybe there's like crocheogram or there's, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't know, maybe there's big communities for other interests and hobbies, but Bookstagram seems to be huge. Yes. I think it is one of the coolest spots on Instagram because there are so many people on there. I mean, some of the, I think Bookstagram, the hashtag Bookstagram is over a hundred thousand tags, which is amazing to me. I mean, I know you said that they suggest 80% promotion, 20% content, and you're the opposite. Do you ever feel like, like if you have to promote it, does that take away the fun of the reading? Yes and no. The pressure to promote is a, it's a thing that people talk about a lot on book blogs and bookstagram because you feel like you want to do well for the publishers and for the authors and for the people who are reading the books. You want them to get a good impression. You don't always like a certain book. Mm-hmm. And that's why I really like the book blog because I can explain why. Mm. And most of the time, I really try to explain that it's not the author, it's not the publisher, it's nothing but not my cup of tea. And I feel that it doesn't always get said on social media because like for Twitter, you only have so many characters. And for Instagram, you can write a pretty good paragraph on Instagram, but you can't always say exactly what you feel. It's got pros and cons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hard to... Even, you know, with the podcast, I, I feel an obligation to the guests that we have on to promote their episode. The thing I have found about social media, both Facebook and for Instagram, when you're not just for yourself, but if you're doing some kind of promotion is it's like a garden and you need to tend it. Yes. You, you know, you have to be posting something fairly regularly to get an audience. It's like something that you build. And if you don't feed it for a while, then it dies a little right. bit. And then you've got to start doing it again it's a labor of love it it is (laughs) so I do feel some pressure with it I mean some of it is fun but it is work yes constantly trying to think you know another way to take a picture of a book that would be cool right you know (laughs) (laughs) and finding props and corners of your house that you haven't used yet yeah for your blog do you have a certain structure do they have a certain format that you try to follow with each one so that's what I've been working on the last month or so is rechanging the format so that it's a little easier for somebody who doesn't have the time to really read my whole spiel. (laughs) I usually start with a trigger warning. So I, you know, try and post just whatever might possibly bother somebody. And then I post what I've rated the book as I did on Goodreads. Do you have a five-star scale? Yes. I so wish Goodreads would have a 10-star scale because I find five stars really hard. I have a lot of fours. I just feel like most books fall into fours. And that's, that's what I feel like. Like, if I really like it, but I'm not in love with it or heartbroken after I finish reading it. It's a four for me. Mm. A three is I liked it, but I wouldn't read it again. Or I might not tell anybody that they should read it, you know, mm. unless they are specifically looking for something. So I like it, the five star scale, because it makes me say, do you like it? Do you not like it? And why do you like it? Mm-hmm. And when they're phenomenal if I'm preaching the book before I even finish it kind of books that's that's a five star for me so yeah so I usually rate it 
and then I review and I write all about why I liked it, why I didn't like it, what I learned from it, et cetera, et cetera. And then at the end, I've started adding a, a too long didn't read, which is kind of like a little statement that says what the book's about, who's it by, and it, it might just pique your interest enough to read what's above. <laughs> and then I have like a, should you read it? Should you buy it? Should you watch the movie if there's a movie of it? And then if you liked this book, check out these other potential books that you might like too. That's cool. What made you decide to change the format of, from the way you had it before? Before, it was mostly just the review section. Um, it was just, you know, how I got the book and, and why I liked it and why I didn't and what I learned. And it was good, but I think people see a chunk of text and they go, I don't have time for that. So I was like, I think I need to break it down a little more, make it a little more user-friendly. You talked about the part where you said, if you like this book, you might want to check out. So for that portion, are you going based on all the different things you've read and you kind of go, oh, this sounds like this? Or are you doing like research too? I mostly am just linking back to other books that I've read. Okay. And that way they can go, oh yeah, that's similar because I read this review and now this review says some similar things or similar authors, genres. I read a lot of historical fiction. I really love getting into somebody's shoes from way back when and I feel like I get to travel a lot more that way too. So I have a lot of links back to other historical fiction books. It kind of follows through for other books as well, memoirs and stuff like that. What kind of pressure do you feel if you have read a book and maybe it's hyped all over bookstagram or social media and you didn't like it or vice versa you love something that a lot of people didn't like how do you deal with that i'll give you an example because i still feel guilty about this one my in real life book club read miracle creek by angie kim and everybody seems to love this book and it was just really all over the place for me and there were so many characters and I like a deep book and it seemed a little superficial. Like you only got little scoops and pieces of these characters' lives. And by the end of it, you're like, oh my gosh, that happened. But you don't feel connected to a single one of those characters, not to spoil or anything. The whole time they're supposed to be a suspect of some sort. You know, Angie Kim didn't want anybody to know what was going to happen at the end of that book. So I, I feel bad for not loving it, but I think I gave it three stars. You know, it's one of those things that I just know it's not everybody's cup of tea. No, certain books are just not going to be for everyone. And so that's why, again, I really like my blog because I can say why I didn't like it. Right. And, and, and you know, on social media, I'm just like, I'm really sorry, Angie Kim. <laughs> <laughs> have there been a book that you've given, I mean, have, or have you ever given a book like a one star I have not given a book a one star on my blog, I don't think, except for one. And it is just a really bad, trashy book. And I thought, I'm single. So it was called How Single Girls Finish First or Last or something like that. I can't even remember the title because I'm so mad at it. <laughs> and this whole thing was supposed to be like dating advice. And I, you know, I like to read stuff like that on occasion. So I was like, oh, it's a freebie on Kindle. I'll read it. And it was so bad. It was just so bad. And I got done reading it and I was irate. And so I, I wrote it because for the most part, it was preaching mind manipulation. And I was like, 
girls. (laughs) That's not good dating advice. (laughs) And I was like, I didn't take that dating advice to the streets, but I'm pretty sure this is bad advice. And I think that was the only one I've written a one star review. Do you ever do not finish books? And if so, do you put that on your blog as well? I do. I some books I just can't get into. Some books are really wordy. I I like books where I can just fall into that story. And if it takes me a really long time or, you know, if halfway through the book I don't know what's going on, I will either restart it at another time or I will DNF it, do not finish it. A good example of that was There There uh, by Tommy Orange. I started reading it via audiobook. I got really, 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 really confused. I can see that. I I read that one recently (laughs) and I I did really enjoy it, but I read the the print version and I can see how if you listen to it, it would be hard to follow. Oh, it was so hard. And so I did not finish that as an audiobook, but... And sometimes that's kind of the case, too, is is the format of what I'm reading. But I decided to go back and read the hard copy of There There and loved it. Oh, I, good. Oh, I'm glad I, to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> I and it's actually one of my most popular blog posts because I've got, like, the list of characters. I drew a character map. I was oh, like, because wow. I really, I couldn't understand it the first time going through and I had to write so much as far as how to figure out what the plot lines were and how they all connected. So and you published that on your yes. on your blog? Yes. There's somebody out there who is using it to teach his class. Oh, that's fair. So. I was just thinking that would probably like, wow, that would be a really great tool yeah. for a teacher to use. Yeah. That's fantastic. So I get I get a lot of hits from that one. So thank you to that guy out there. <laughs> Are there some important skills that you think if someone's interested in being a book blogger that they should have? I've just recently posted a piece of advice for bloggers about what it takes to be a book blogger. And I think the biggest thing is you just have to have the passion to read and you have to have the passion to write. And that's the bare minimum. Things that are great in addition to that, uh, organization, uh, time management, marketing, too, helps knowing how to strategize what you're reading and, and, and putting out there for everyone to look at. Those are the key points. So how do you feel like social media enhances your book life? Overall, I think it is really positive. I spend way more time on Bookstagram now than I do on my own personal account. The other <laughs> thing that really that gets me about social media is Bookstagram made me do it. The hashtag Bookstagram made me do it. I tend to find books and yard sales, book sales, bookstores, Goodwill, where I'm like, oh, I might be able to give this away. Or, oh, I might be able to talk about this. Or, oh, you know. And so I find that I buy a lot of books because of Bookstagram. So yeah. <laughs> I, I see a lot of stuff that, that I go, oh, I know I saw that on there. I got to check that one out too. You know? Yeah. Many people think that social media really is detrimental to forming like real life relationships. And I know you're very active in the bookstagram community, and I'm sure you have lots of followers to your book blog who read it and maybe communicate with you. What's been your experience with with that? I do not think social media is detrimental. I think it is a, a vice a little bit yeah. <laughs> because we all love to kind of ignore our regular days and go right into social media. But I have found a really great community in the Bookstagram circuit there. And I have actually met people uh, from 
bookstagram and that's how I ended up finding my in real life book club and I've actually met quite a few people from social media that were at book events like author events so I think it's really really fun because I'm not a very social person I would say I'm I'm usually working (laughs) so I don't have a lot of time to go out and the weekends are my time to relax and and stay home so I don't get to to go out and meet a lot of new people and so I really have loved having that aspect of bookstagram in my life because I've gotten to meet some really cool people through it and you wouldn't be here with us in real life without it I haven't I was so excited I am so excited (laughs) we are going to take a short break and when we come back we're going to find out what everyone is reading right now with our guest Amanda Seco and we're going to talk a little bit about what we're all reading so Carrie I'm anxious to hear what you've been up to. Okay so I'm going to talk about a book that I'm pretty sure that is never going to be on your TBR but (laughs) it's one I'm reading with my sons so there is an entire series of books called janitors. I believe there are five books in the series and it's by Tyler Whitesides. My son, the one who's in sixth grade, came home last year and was talking about this book that he was reading in school and he really liked it. Here's the premise. There is this boy and he's living out west with his mom and his siblings and we don't know where his dad is. His dad is just sort of out of the picture. And uh, he uses a soap when he goes to the restroom, and which, I mean, that's unusual, a boy using soap <laughs> in a restroom, you know, okay, so suspend <laughs> your disbelief here, but anyway, so he uses a soap, and then he starts seeing these creatures around the school, and he's like, what, what is that, what is it, so he's freaking out, come to find out, there are these creatures that have infiltrated the public education system. And they're called filths and rubbishes, and I think there's another one. But basically, they make some kids lethargic, and they don't want to do anything. <laughs> and then it makes other kids completely buffoonish. And so... So it explains both of my boys when yes, they were in middle school? Yes, yes. He ends up getting a, a couple other kids involved in this. Well, they realize that the janitors are the ones who are fighting these creatures. So unless you have used this special soap, you are not going to be able to see these. So all the other kids can't see these creatures. These janitors are like this team of uh, rebel, they're rebel janitors, and they are fighting these creatures. But then there's this group called the BEM, and I can't remember now what that stands for, but the BEM are like the bad janitors. They want public education to be ruined from all these rubbishes and filths. So believe it or not, I've sort of gotten into the story now. It's a really strange, kind of cool concept. Yeah. So these janitors have these special, almost like magical tools. They're janitors slash wizards. Well, because they are janitors, all of their magical tools are, they actually look like 
things that a janitor would use. So what's the special, the plunger? What's, yes. what's the special? Okay, <laughs> they do have the, okay. That's what so, I was thinking too. Yes, I was like, there's yeah. got to be a plumber. The a plunger, plunger is used. Okay, so basically, Amy, if there is a uh, bed in the room that we're in. So if I had one of these magical they're called glopified if i had one of these glopified plungers i would be able to put the plunger on the bed pick it up with one hand and move it to the other side of the room and just you know pick it up the mops the moppish part it can reach out and grab somebody and hold them i have to say i mean i'm kind of intrigued it I sounds think, like books that boys yes, would really like. Yes. As you get through the story, you learn something about Spencer's father. Like, originally I thought, oh, it's just a story. You know, his dad's just like a deadbeat dad. Well, you come to realize some things about w- what his dad is involved in and where his dad is. Now, Spencer, it's Spencer and a girl named Daisy and a bully who gets involved with this named Des. So it kind of has a little bit, you know, if you think about Harry Potter, yeah, it kind of has that, little Harry the, tri- Harry, the trio. And then in the second book, they have to go hide out where they think is a safe place, New Forest Academy. But it turns out that it's not as safe as they thought. So I feel a little bad saying it sounds like books that boys would like, because it makes it sound like I think that books are you know, for one gender or the other. The reason I said that is because boys at a certain age really like things that are gross. Yes. <laughs> the whole fact about them being janitors, it sounds kind of like germs, but yes. magic germs. Magic germs, yes. That would appeal to a certain segment of boys. Yes. And so I just want to clarify that. Yes. And and so... The girls could definitely enjoy right. it too. And, and I, there is a, a female portion of this trio. And then there's a little bit of... Uh, now, when I say love interest, I mean, it's a love interest like what an elementary, early middle school kid would have. So, you know, I mean, we're enjoying it. I'm reading it with them. And the funny thing is, my child, who's now the sixth grader, every night, I'll start reading the chapter. And every night, he'll be like, okay, and he'll do kind of a summary of what we read the (laughs) night before. And I'm like, wow, he's really paying attention. He is actually, yeah, he's into it. I'm not sure if we'll continue. I mean, it just sort of depends on if they want to, if if he wants to get the next book, we'll get the next book. But it's the Janitors series. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's going to be hard to follow up on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, nobody else has a book about no. magical plungers? No. Nope. I don't know. Nope, I don't. What are you reading? On audiobook, I have just started Pride and Prejudice. The last week of the month, I do a classics week. I tried to do a classics month last year, and I really liked doing that, but this year it just wasn't going to happen, so I was like, I'll just do a week. Because they do take a little longer to read. Yes. Anna Karenina took me three weeks last year. Well, that was a really... That's like a book stop, too. Yeah. So <laughs> that was a that was a rough one. So I just started that on audiobook. And then I just started the hard copy of City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. And Who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. That was her debut. And I loved Eat, Pray, Love. And then I also read The Signature of All Things by her, which is one of her fiction books. And I loved that, too. It was very long, but it was very good. So I'm hoping that City of Girls will be like that. And I've heard it's a little bit of... 1940s glamour meets sex in the city meets a lot of fashion and stuff uh, little devilers prada in it i mean it sounds really down my alley <laughs> and i think those are the only two that i've got going right now 
Have you read Pride and Prejudice before? I had read it a really long time ago, like probably in high school. I mean, I loved the Keira Knightley's movie version, Mm -hmm. and I've seen that a couple of times. So I was like, yeah, I need to read the book again and see how it compares again. Are you a Jane Austen fan? It seems like there's a big section of bookstagram devoted to people who just love Jane Austen. Yeah, I like her a lot. The more I've read of her, the more I'm like, she's really a good gossipy (laughs) writer. So I can understand why uh, people can still connect to those books these days. But yeah, I I like her, but I wouldn't say I'm a devotee as much as some. (laughs) I've read two Jane Austens last two years because I wanted to go to the Jane Austen Festival. Mm -hmm. I didn't end up being able to go this year but the one that I read last year for the Jane Austen Festival that was here in Louisville was Persuasion and I really did enjoy it I don't ever read Jane Austen not that I necessarily dislike them I just I'm not drawn to them maybe like some people are but what I noticed about it was it was all about sort of these vain pompous people and she's kind of making fun of them and there was a book that I tried to read a couple years ago that is very popular now, Crazy Rich Asians, Yes, that I could not get through because I thought these people are just so awful. But then after I read Persuasion, I thought, you know, maybe he was actually trying to do something that was like Jane Austen. I mean, I could see some parallels. So now I want to go back and try reading Crazy Rich Asians again and look at it as a a satire, which I didn't really do the first time. Interesting. Interesting. I wouldn't have made that connection either because I've heard a lot. It is all over Bookstagram. So, Amy, what are you reading? So I just finished a book called Out East by John Glenn. That's G-L-Y-N-N, not like the former senator and astronaut Glenn. (laughs) (laughs) This is a memoir. John Glenn actually is an editor. There's been, seemed like there's been a lot of books lately that are written by editors that the woman in the window, which was Mm -hmm. a very popular book last year, the year before was also written by an editor. I don't remember. I think at random house, maybe by his name is AJ Finn. Although I think that might be a pseudonym. The, the subtitle of the book is uh, memoirs of a Montauk summer. So the basic premise of the book is that when he was in his late 20s, he was invited by his college roommate to rent a house with a group of, it was between 20 and 30 other late 20-somethings, to rent a house on Montauk, which is a a beach in the Hamptons, which is this very tony, rich part of Long Island. And you know this going in, is that he he's a straight man, but he realizes over the course of the summer at the beach that he's actually gay. I picked it up for one because I like reading seasonally. We talked about this mm-hmm. a little bit, but I, I love reading books in the summer that are about summer things, or I love reading creepy, scary books when, it's, when we're leading up to Halloween. So I thought this would be a really good read. And also, I feel like I have a little bit of a hole in my own reading as far as LGBTQ books go. I just haven't read very many of them and I thought that this would be good and I had heard about it on another podcast called uh, Get Booked and they had talked about it and recommended it and it sounded like a cool read. So there's a line in the book that I think sums up my feeling about it which this just just wasn't my scene. (laughs) (laughs) So for me the book really didn't get good to the last quarter of it. The first half of the book is really about this group of 20-something aged adults 
who are very white, privileged, and beautiful. And they rent the house in the Hamptons, and they call themselves the Hive. And the Hive is composed of, there's a group of girls, there's a group of straight guys who call themselves the Finance Bros, and then there's a group of gay guys. So they're living in... I'm a little suspicious of any group that calls themselves the Bros. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? So they all live in New York City. They're trying to establish their careers and whatever it is that their their careers are, but on the weekends going out to this this house. But they spend every weekend basically getting drunk and then the next day being hungover. And <laughs> there are little scenes of drama between the housemates, endless descriptions of, of the brand clothes that they're wearing or what bar they go to every night. So for me, this was a little tedious it seemed like they it were was just too much like your real life right <laughs> going out to bars and yes that's exactly that's exactly it carrie <laughs> now in the fourth quarter of the book though this kind of sounds like i'm talking about a football game or basketball game but in the fourth quarter of the book there's like a beautiful passage that he has about sea glass being like people and they are subjected to the elements to the waves to the sand and and they're sort of worn down and made beautiful that was a beautiful passage but I've been waiting for it the whole book like I was hoping that the whole book was going to be these really great uh, descriptions of these beautiful friendships that he had of the beach and things like that unfortunately I, I found that he for me he told more than he showed Mm -hmm. So he would say that, oh, you know, we're so loyal to each other or we're such great friends. And he would say, I had this conversation with Colby about his his mother's illness and we're so close. But he didn't actually tell you what the conversation was, which would have actually shown you why they were close. I found the actual story of John's discovering his true sexuality at kind of a late age. I just have always thought usually people discover that they're gay when they're preteen or teen. And so finding out when you're in your late 20s seemed unusual to me. And I was really interested in that. And I did find that part of the story really great. It was like they thought that their lives were super interesting, but I found them kind of boring. But I would say it's kind of a cross between the Jersey Shore. I've even heard somebody compare it to The Great Gatsby, which I think is a a bit of a reach, but there are some similarities. So, you know, there's the whole East Egg. So there's that rich, you know, people going from New York City out to the shore. And there's the partying decadence of it that's sort of there. And there's, you know, the, the romantic love story part. That's where it ended for me because it just wasn't deep enough. Mm-hmm. So I think that there are certainly some people who would enjoy it. There's to me, it was like a reality TV show. And so if I don't personally like reality TV shows. So therefore, it wasn't my cup of tea. But if you like that, you like sort of a dishy, juicy book, or if you are really wanting to read a book uh, about LGBT issues, I think you should pick it up and give it a try. Don't take my word for it. You know, try it out for yourself. But Amanda, I know that you read this book as well. And I feel really bad because she gave it a good review and I just gave it a, kind of a bad review. <laughs> but I'm... I love the Jersey Shore. Though. <laughs> I, uh... See, that's the thing. It's just not my thing. And so I think that's maybe why it fell flat for me. Yeah. Yep, so. But that's the best thing about this. We talk about books and take what you want from it. And... Right. Yeah. Use a plunger on the rest, I guess. 
<laughs> and on that plunger note, yeah. we're going to take another break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Amanda's top five. We are back in the studio with our guest, Amanda Seco, and we are going to ask her her top five. You are originally from Vermont. So what is the top place in Vermont that people should definitely visit? So Vermont is really, really tiny. Everybody thinks about the foliage, about maple syrup, and about the Green Mountains. So if you just drive from the north end to the south end, (laughs) that's pretty much it. But one of my favorite places that I like to claim is Ben & Jerry's, the ice cream place. It's in Waterford, Vermont, and it's really cool. You can go there, try their flavor of the month or whatever, and I I love Ben & Jerry's. Um, That is supposed to be a really cool tour to do the Ben & Jerry's. I miss Vermont because I am such a small town girl. I actually live outside of Lexington because Lexington's too big of a city for me. Vermont is one of those that everything feels quaint. Unfortunately, I don't think Vermont is going to win me back because I moved to Lexington because of horses. It's hard to get into the horse business up there. You know, I ended up following my horsey dreams. My dad, he always said that I was the girl who could make horses smile. Um, That's quite the title. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that would be a book. There you go. There's your memoir. (laughs) Yeah. so So can you really make them smile? Yeah, they do this really cool thing with their lip. It's called the Flamin' Response. And basically, they just flip their top lip up when they smell something funny. But it's also easy to, like, tickle their nose, and they'll do it sometimes. And one of the horses that I work with, Boone, he will do it on command. All you have to do is, like, put your finger up, and he'll flip his nose up. So I like to selfie a lot with him because he always does it. Well, there you go. There you've so, got your cover picture, too. Yeah, or your so, inside, your writer's yeah, picture. Yeah. So I'm going to piggyback off of that question. Well, we started talking about Vermont, ended up talking about horses. But what is your top mistake that you see new or occasional riders make when they get on a horse? I've I've taught lessons before, and I see a lot of beginners get on a horse and just clench everything. And that two horses is like having a mountain lion jump on their back and freak them out. I never thought about they, that. I think I'm a clencher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it enacts their flight or flight response because they can tell, oh gosh, you're nervous. I should be nervous too. I tell people a lot when the first time they sit on a horse is think of it as a bar stool. It's just there to support you. The rungs are the stirrups. You just sit there and all you got to do is keep your balance. I mean, you're sitting on a four-legged animal who most of the time, if you're a beginner, they're going to be a sturdy, safe, easygoing horse. So that's, I tell people, think barstool. (laughs) (laughs) So this is sort of a two for one. What is your top book or author from Vermont and your top book or author from Kentucky? So I am a huge fan of Jennifer McMahon. She writes a lot of creepy I not, did not know she was from Vermont. Yeah, and, okay. and a lot of her settings are in Vermont, too. And when I read it, I know. There's so many quaint country stuff and small town stuff that you're like, yeah, that's I could have grown up there. So I love reading her book. 
I don't do really scary, but she does like just creepy enough to give me like the chills, but not so much that I get nightmares. So I really love her books. And then as far as authors from Kentucky, I've read quite a few since I've been here, but I'm not as well versed in Kentucky authors. I've read Barbara Kingsolver, who I really like. I loved the Poisonwood Bible. We had to read it in high school. Just finished Unsheltered by her, which I thought was really good. It's really sad, but it's really good. And then I just finished uh, The Book Woman of Troublesome Creek. I just finished it too. Oh, it was so good. It made mm-hmm. me so sad, but I really like sad books, I guess. So I just finished that one by um, Kim Michelle Richardson. So as a blog writer, I'm sure you read some blogs. What is your top blog that you like to read? It could be about books or it could be about anything, really. I actually, I have a directory on my blog with just WordPress book bloggers, and there's over 500 of them. But I love going to find new book blogs that I haven't seen before. And in that case, I, (laughs) it'd be really hard to pick (laughs) a top favorite. I mean, I'd just sit there and read and read and read and read. Like there's times where I'm like, I should be reading a book and not this. (laughs) So I will say for the horse people that I really love the 900 Facebook pony. It's about a girl who is an inventor and she, she has these two horses and she talks about their personalities and it always cracks me up. It's always good for a giggle. And she always has a lot of fun photos. So that's cool. Yeah. I like reading that one one out. Mm -hmm. I don't, read blogs very much but like I had said before I love to cook so the one blog that I still do follow is called Smitten Kitchen and she's a very popular food blogger she just is a home cook who has a New York City apartment and a tiny little kitchen and she has this phenomenal blog. The thing I like about it, and this does tie into books a little bit, is that she's a really good writer Mm. and she's funny. And so what I liked about her posts, I have made several of her dishes and they're very good, Mm -hmm. but that her descriptions and her posts were just so interesting. Now she actually has a couple of in-print cookbooks now that have been, I think, bestsellers. Cool. So she was able to turn that little blog into this huge thing. Hmm. Our last question for you, Amanda. What is your top book or movie about horses? Most books and movies that are out there about horses are a little bit corny. So I really like the racing ones. My favorite movie I really loved the Secretariat movie, and I really loved the Seabiscuit movie. Mm-hmm. I thought they were both really great. I thought it it gave a really nice view of the partnership between a horse and rider, which is, I think, a lot of people take it for granted. They don't understand how cool it is to let a, a person sit on a 1,200-pound animal's back and be like, all right, let's go for a run, you know? And my favorite book about horses is Ruffian. Ruffian was a racehorse and she was one of the top fillies in the country and she has a tragic ending which always makes me cry at the end of the book. But you like sad movies. I love sad sad books (laughs) and she god she's such female goals like she is so strong and the big part of the book is that she goes on to win the equivalent of the Kentucky Derby Triple Crown Trail, but for fillies. It's the Philly Triple Crown. I didn't she, know there was such a thing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's it's not as advertised uh-huh. as the Derby because uh-huh. the Derby is so big. But she won all three of the big 
filly races and they decided to pin her against the top contender of that triple crown series that year his name was foolish pleasure and they went to compete against each other in like boys versus girls race it was a one-on-one head-to-head race and it was so hyped and it was so big and then now i want to read this book it is so good (laughs) so good well i have a horse book when i was a kid i read misty of chincoteague by marguerite henry yes and and there were other books in the series. Now, I don't remember the other books, but that book stuck with me my whole life. But it was probably 18 years ago. We went on a vacation. We went to Virginia Beach. And since we were going there on a trip, can we go to Chincoteague? Yeah. I just want to go to Chincoteague. So we went. Now, I, I can't remember because Chincoteague and Assateague are really close really together. Close. Yep. And so I believe we were actually on Assateague. But we went and we got to see the horses. And it was wonderful. That's one of the things I want to do so bad. Yes. Like, it's on my bucket list. <laughs> it was wonderful. So that's a book that if you have a child who loves horses, make sure they read that and mm-hmm. then take a trip there because yes. it was fantastic and then every horse girl i think starts out with black beauty and mm-hmm. again black beauty makes me cry but <laughs> i'm sensing a theme here <laughs> anna sewell is so known for animal rights because of the tragedy that black beauty goes through in that book and so it was a really good sounding board for fighting against animal cruelty so i think so many horse girls are all about black beauty or you know started with black beauty well amanda it has been amazing having you here it has been really fun talking about your blog and about bookstagram and all the sad books that you like to read (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for coming and being our guest i'm gonna have to work on happy books from now on (laughs) but thank you so much for having me this has been so awesome If you would like to follow Amanda, you can find her book blog at thelexingtonbookie.com and her Instagram feed is at thelexingtonbookie. If you're interested in Bookstagram, go to the Instagram app and search hashtag Bookstagram. If you follow that link, you'll see all the books and maybe even a few cats. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes for any episode, please go to our blog site at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. Follow us on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover and on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to and when new episodes air. If you enjoy our show, spread the word and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find us. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots, community-based radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.